Coming up on the show, how about the statement made by Sam Burns in winning in the Lone Star State? Burns taking the WGC Dell Technologies match play and once again among the top 10 in the world rankings. But is his game ready to take the next step? We'll discuss. It was the rare match play where the consolation match had more star power than the championship showdown. How should we view the week for world number two Rory McIlroy and world number one Scotty Scheffler? They're trying to peak for Augusta next month. Plus, NBC Golf's John Wood hops on the show. He was on the ground in Austin. We're going to ask him which player looks the most primed to carry the momentum from Austin Country Club to Augusta National. Maybe slip on the green jacket as Golf Today starts right now. Golf Today. Thanks for joining us inside our Golf Channel studios. I'm George Savarica sitting alongside Golf Week's Eamon Lynch. This is our two-hour edition of Golf Today. And if that's the finale for match play on the PGA Tour with the WGC Dell Technologies match play, if you were to write the eulogy, what would you say? Well, it definitely went out on a high. It, it would be a shame if this was the last head-to-head -head week that we actually have on the PGA Tour. And you were right. You know, there was definitely a little more eyeballs on the consolation match than there were on the finalist match. But it, it was one of those weeks where it was as much about endurance as it is about excellence. We saw how Sam Burns was tired even doing the post-round interviews after that yesterday. He just looked like a, a horse on his way to the glue factory at that point. I hope he actually recovers by the time he gets to Augusta at the end of this week. But there's a lot of guys are going to leave Austin feeling not quite the high that Sam Burns is going to feel, guys like John Ram, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, JT out of the first, for the first time in five and a half years, he's out of the top 10 in the world rankings, a guy who owns a major title right now. So there's, there's a lot of fine tuning going on in the next few days before they get to Augusta. I think this is kind of the soul of what we see in the amateur game with the, the U.S. amateur, Western amateur, even the open, uh, the amateur over there. They're playing not only stroke play qualifying to get into it, then you have match play. And for a lot of winners, like we could have seen this week, it could have been um, up to, say, around 144 holes for Sam Burns. He played 119 to win. It is part endurance, part the guy who maybe has luck of the draw and partly the guy who elevates his game at the right time and place to be the last man standing with a field of 64. I thought... The buzz that we saw around not just Austin Country Club, which is a tremendous match play course and arguably the best fit for what we saw with this event dating back to its inception back in 1999. But then the caliber of player that made it not just through the Sweet 16, but then the Elite Eight. You had so many former world number ones, the current world number one, Scotty Scheffler. It delivered for what the fan would want to see and what should be an event that has a meaningful place in the PGA Tour schedule in years to come, not just based on what we saw this year, but the fact that there is a need for a match play event year in and year out on the PGA Tour. And it's amazing the small victories that existed last week as well, George. What does it mean to a guy like Ricky Fowler, who went out there Wednesday and tucked down John Rahm head-to-head match play? A guy who's still trying to fight his way into the mm -hmm. Masters this week in San Antonio at the Valeris Texas Open. 
But for people who are looking for that just small little incremental steps in confidence here and there, Jason Day is another guy who, who played so well last week as well. There are a lot of guys who can leave with smaller victories out of Austin than the guy who's leaving with the big one. And you think, uh, as a, a viewer, okay, are these guys making too big a deal? Does one 18-hole round really mean that much? I guarantee you if Ricky and Rom are in contention two weeks from now, he'll think, I just took that guy down in Austin. I can, I can do this again. Like, that's what you're thinking inside the ropes. It always means more to the winner than it does as a negative for the loser. Ram can put it behind him very yeah. easily. But it's something when you're, you've been struggling the way Ricky Fowler has for the last three, four years, that's just another little positive brick in the wall. Let's dial up the highlights of the championship match. We didn't get to see a lot of the back nine. Six and five, the margin for Sam Burns. Is, this thing was done and dusted on the 13th hole. Players to win the WGC Dell Technologies match play in their debut. Of course, Jeff Magger did it in 1999, but that was the first year of this event. Jeff Ogilvie in 2006. Ogilvie, a two-time champ, also won this in 2009. And then you have Sam Burns capturing it in 2023. Not only does Burns have the honor of winning this event for the final time in its current iteration, but then afterwards, the champ getting to catch up with our Todd Lewis. Yeah, what a successful and emotional day. You take out your good friend, Scotty Scheffler, then you buzz through this championship match. What did you bring to the golf course today, Sam? Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm so tired. I just, I think this morning, just trying to keep battling. Um, I knew it was going to be tough against Scotty and uh, kind of halfway through the round, just got a little lost out there. And, uh, you know, Travis, like, hey, man, just keep your head down, keep fighting. Um, was able to hit some really good shots and, uh, you know, made that putt there on our, our 21st hole. But uh, I knew it was going to be a great match against Cam. He's been playing so well all week. Um, probably played the best of anyone all week. And, um, you know, to be able to battle with him today was, it was a blast. You've admitted you have not played your best the last few months. To get this championship, how impactful is that, that to you that you've been able to battle out of this valley? Yeah, it's huge. Um, I mean, professional golf is hard. It's not uh, it's not easy at times, and I've been really struggling with my golf swing. Um, just didn't quite have the command that I wanted and uh, wasn't able to hit some of the shots that, that I usually am able to. So a uh, huge thank you to my coach, Brad. He's um, just been rock solid and um, helped me a lot. You know what it takes to, to win emotionally, mentally, strategically, everything in a stroke play event. What did this take out of you in match play? I, I could fall down on the ground and go to sleep right now. I mean, I'm <laughs> exhausted. Um, I think just trying to battle and, and give myself every opportunity to compete on every hole. And, um, you know, ultimately, um, you know, for me, the goal was trying to get as many looks as I could with my putter. I was putting it really well all week. And, um, you know, it was, it kind of got me through there. Final thing, you moved to Augusta National now. What, what, what kind of optimism do you have after this win? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> this hasn't really sunk in, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting home and sleeping in my own bed tonight. <clears throat> Not the type of event where you're going to go out and pop the champagne and really soak up the celebration afterwards. Sam Burns just dreaming about getting a little shut-eye. The, the margin of Six and five, we were wondering, all right, is that the biggest beatdown we've ever seen at the WGC Dell Technologies match play since moving to Austin Country Club in 2016? Actually, Bubba Watson took down Kevin Kisner seven and six. And how about this for a comeback? Kisner, the very next year, was able to win the event.
That was back in 2019 over Matt Kuchar. So this now five career PGA Tour victories for Sam Burns. How meaningful should we view this one? It's probably the most impactful one in the sense of the field that he went up against. But if you look at the last three seasons on the PGA Tour, only two people have won more than Sam Burns, and that's Patrick Cantley and Scotty Scheffler. He beat both of them last week. So there's a lot of, I think, psychological takeaway for this for uh, Sam Burns. And he talked about with Todd there how, how low he was feeling with his golf game. It's, it's not really that low. Fair enough, he missed the cut at the Arnold Palmer Invitational and the Genesis out at Riviera, but he was tied sixth in Phoenix. He was you know, tied 11th at the Amex, and then he found a little bit more form last week at the Valspar when he was going for three in a row there. So here, here's a guy who's now, as of today, he's number 10th in the official World Golf Rankings. He was 15th going into the week at, at the match play, and I would argue that there were not 14 players better than him going to Austin, and there certainly aren't nine better than him now. What I love about Sam Burns, and if you remember, it was a few years ago at the Valspar Championship. He was a rookie, and he happens to play in the same group as Tiger Woods on Saturday. And the first thing he said to Tiger Woods walking off the first tee was, hey, I've played with you a bunch in the Tiger Woods video game, and then goes out that day and beat Tiger Woods head-to-head. So he's a guy who wants the big moment. He now has five career PGA Tour victories. He's 26 years old. That's the same amount as another 26-year-old who gets a lot of hype, deservedly so, in Colin Morikawa, because Morikawa has won two majors. How do we really measure a man's game? What would you say is the barometer? At first it goes wins, and then it goes... It's who you're winning against as okay. much as who you're winning. And it's one thing, you know, he, he's won four of those victories in the last 18 months. Yep. But significance is attached to me more with this one at the match play and the guys he took down. But also last summer when he won the Charles Schwab, he beat Scotty Scheffler in a playoff. So now he's gone toe-to-toe with Scotty Scheffler twice, the best player in the world, indisputably right now. Yep. And he's taken him down. So to, the, to a point earlier about having just little incremental confidence bills along the way, that's kind of more impactful for a Sam Burns is who he beats along the way. He knows he can go out there in the PGA Tour and win. Going out and winning against a field of this calibre, I think that's a fairly significant thing. And it also gives you a sense of how deep the American Ryder Cup team is. He, Despite having four wins on tour before he got yep. to Austin and three in the last 18 months, he was barely in the top 20 on the Ryder Cup team. He was 19th. When the final numbers come out today, he's probably going to be fifth place, which is actually inside the automatic qualification spots. That's how deep that team is. Well, I would say how you measure is wins and major victories. Sam Burns, his best career finish in a major right now, T20. So he hasn't done anything on the game's biggest stages so far. This, a big step in the right direction to win a World Golf Championship event. But I would say the next jump in his career is to see him in contention in a big moment. And I think he's ready for that. And I think he's a guy who wants the spotlight, wants to be up against the game's best. Good friends with Scotty Scheffler, practices with him a ton. And he said it's been amazing to see Scotty's ascension and then practicing what can I glean from it to try and get there. Well, we've seen him now take him down, like you said, in the yeah. Charles Schwab, take him down at Austin Country Club. Let's see if his game is ready to turn the corner now at Augusta National. Well, he only has to wait 10 days to find out if he's ready for that one, George. Uh, there couldn't be a better scenario to come off a victory here and then sleep in your own bed and carry that momentum to Augusta National. Now, turning our attention, there are a lot of winners who didn't win last week. and. 
We're going to turn our focus to the man who was runner-up, and he's been Mr. Runner-up since his rookie season on the PGA Tour, Cameron Young. He's had a boatload of runner-ups on the PGA Tour. Remember Sanderson Farms last year, the Genesis, the Open was oh so close before succumbing to Cameron Smith, Rocket Mortgage, and then this, his first runner-up this season. So we've seen all these runner-ups. What do you draw from that? If you're Cameron Young, you've had these bites at the apple, you come so close, still haven't gotten that first win on the PGA Tour. He has the benefit of still being very early in his career. He's now only halfway through his second season on the PGA Tour. If he was four or five years into it, then I think you start to have that conversation between when does it build confidence and when does it start to be corrosive, the confidence. And he's still very much in the building confidence. And you've got to look at where those second-place finishes are coming here against a high-caliber field, obviously at the Open, second at the Genesis last year as well. He's putting up these results against quality fields all the time. And he's up to 14th in the World Golf Rankings, which is his best ranking to this point. And to me, he, he is starting to feel like a little bit like David Duval. And Duval had seven second-place finishes on the PGA Tour in his first few years out there until he finally broke through and then went on a heater after that. Cameron Young, to me, is following the same trend. And to your point about Sam Burns not having that record in major championships, Cameron Young has played six major championships. He's missed the cut in four of them. He's been second and tied third in the other two. So it's kind of a feast or famine scenario there. But one of the cuts he missed last year was at Augusta National. He'd be looking to do better than that next week. I think Cameron Young should look at the career arc that we've seen of other contemporary young pros. Justin Thomas didn't win his rookie season on the PGA Tour. Scotty Scheffler didn't win his rookie season on the PGA Tour. Jordan Spieth, of course, won the John Deere Classic. But over his first two seasons on the PGA Tour, he had one victory before his huge breakthrough. So for a lot of guys, they make it look easy and they're winning early to mid-20s. And we think, oh, wow, Jordan Spieth was immediately a winner. But he did have that period of a bunch of runner-up finishes in the sophomore slump for, for Justin Thomas and Scotty Scheffler wasn't immediately win two, three times your rookie year. It normally takes to your second or your third season where you start to see pick off that first win, like Sam Burns, and then the year after his first victory, Sam Burns wins three times on the PGA Tour. It's easy to say that the floodgate, and I think David Duvall's the barometer for what a lot of people will measure against because he was the guy everyone kept saying he's going to win and then he won three straight weeks. Extremely hard to do. But I do think when, when Cameron Young wins, he's going to be very comfortable in that position once he learns how to be a closer. Yeah, you know, there's the recency bias in this game. There's a lot of people are willing to list a second-place finish as a disappointment. It's a hell of a disappointment to have racked up six of them in the kind of bank that Cameron Young's made in his first couple of years on tour. We're coming up. We're going to check in with someone who got so close to the action yesterday in Austin that was surprised he wasn't served with a restraining order. John Wood, our favorite caddie, turned an answer. He's here right after the break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. 
Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Continuing on golf today, a big Sunday in Austin, Texas for Sam Burns, who took home the title at the WGC Dell Technologies match play, winning the championship match 6-5 over Cameron Young. His fifth PGA Tour victory in 121 career starts. 6-5 victory, the largest at the event since 2018. Burns has now won in three consecutive seasons on the PGA Tour. So here's a look at the Comcast Business Tour Top 10. Since 2009, every player finished the Comcast Business Tour Top 10 has then played their way into Eastlake. Current look at the standings and very competitive. You have John Rahm, number one, Max Homa, number two, Scotty Scheffler, number three, Sam Burns with a huge jump, 44 spots into eight. With more on the week, let's welcome in our colleague, NBC Golf's John Wood, who is on the ground in Austin. John, when you think of match play, a lot of variables, not always the best player wins. So would you say the man playing the best last week was the one who ultimately won the WGC Dell Technologies match play? I think so. Overall, maybe you can make an argument that, that maybe Rory or Scotty Scheffler were playing better earlier in the week and maybe even on Saturday. Uh, but when it came down to the biggest matches, I think Sam Burns was playing the best, played the best for the last two rounds, and uh, you know, definitely the best man came out ahead, I think. John, you made an impassioned plea on social media last week for more match play on the PGA Tour, that this can't be the last. And we saw pros and cons here because we saw some great matches, some compelling head-to-heads, but we also saw a championship match end with an hour left in the broadcast window and perhaps more eyeballs on a more compelling consolation match. So you see either end of the, the argument on this. What do you think the match play adds to the PGA Tour schedule? I just think it's a refreshing change. Now, do I know, do I think this seven round pool play is the way to go? Is there another way to do it? I'm sure there is. Um, I just think it's such a refreshing change. Everybody that I've talked to really enjoys match play one week out of the year, fans, players, caddies. Um, I just think it's a, it's a great change of pace and, and um, not that, that every tournament is, is, I don't want to say, you know, it just gets the routine gets a little stale, I think, sometimes. And I love this match play because it just breaks up the year, breaks up the, the week a little bit and gives you something different to do. And I, I think everybody loves it. And I hope they find a way that uh, to keep it, you know, and, and come up with a different sort of match play on tour. We saw a lot of star power into the weekend. There are also some names that we saw of, of players who are trying to regain form and maybe won some big head-to-head matchups. Which guy do you think is carrying the most momentum from what they were able to do at Austin Country Club? I think there's that quite a bit of momentum for a few guys. Scotty Scheffler, obviously, Roy McIlroy played well. Uh, he's got that new putter and new driver. I think he's thrilled with how they, they, they came out in competition in their first week. Um, I think, you know, Cameron Young, even though he didn't get the win yesterday, um, first week out with Paul Tesori, and I think they really clicked 
Um, and I think that moving forward, he knows what in, in what a good headspace he's in. Um, I think Paul's perfect for him. I think Chad Reynolds was a very good caddy for him as well. But I think Paul, uh, you know, it, it just seemed to click out there, and that's huge for him moving forward. And obviously, you know, Sam Burns hasn't had the results he wants, but in this year yet. But all of a sudden, you know, you win the match play against the best the best field in golf, and and you're right where you want to be in every list. So um, a lot of momentum coming out of last week. John, I'm curious about the Paul Tesori, Cameron Young relationship here. It's a little bit of a chicken and an egg question. We hear a lot about how Paul Tesori will bring so much to a younger player like Cam Young, but to what extent is this moulding the player to the caddy or moulding the caddy to the player? What's more important in, in that particular relationship? A, a good caddy will always mould himself to the player because it's about what they want, what they need how they want things presented to him. Um, and guys like Paul Tesori will adapt. Um, he will caddy differently for Cameron Young than he did for Vijay Singh, than he did for Jerry Kelly, than he did for Webb Simpson. Every player needs and wants something different. Um, and it's just a key of figuring out what works best under the gun for him um, and, and having that open communication. And I, I'm sure they will moving forward. Um, so it's definitely always a caddy trying to figure out what does my player want because every player wants something a little bit different. Do you think Austin Country Club showed enough last week with the WGC Dell Technologies match play that the PGA Tour in the future will push match play more to the forefront instead of potentially seeing a multi-year hiatus? I hope so. I hope so. I think Austin Country Club has been an amazing host for that event. It is such a fantastic match play course so much risk and reward um, and you get such different days you'll get a soft day with not a lot of wind and guys really have to make birdies and then you get a day with 20 miles an hour and you're winning holes with pars i just i love the place i think it's perfect for match play um i think there's a lot of uh sad sad people knowing we're not coming back there next year for the match play but hopefully something works out we get something close we saw matt wallace win yesterday on the pga tour john down in the dominican republic he made some news at the valspar the week before when he had a, a spat with his caddy in the final round. We saw Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Well, the same thing with Shane Lowry last year and, and his former caddy, Bo Martin. And these things tend to go viral, but they can't be that uncommon out there. I mean, surely players have shouted at you in the past as well. Of course. They, they aren't common. And they're, in my mind, Eamon, they're actually a good thing. 
Um, you get that stuff out. If, so, if, you, if you've done something wrong or the player if you felt like he has done something wrong, you got to get it out. You can't hold it inside and just let it fester. Um, so I think those two, when that happened, moved past it. They were past it five minutes after the round. And if you hold that stuff in, like any relationship, it just grows and builds and builds and builds. So I think, you know, spats happen more often than you'd, than you'd think. Um, and they're, they're important. I think, I think they're a good thing. How long can the negatives from Austin last in terms of some of the players that we saw last week? You know, John Ram didn't perform particularly well, or Jordan Spieth, Colin Murakawa. JT didn't actually show up to play. He's not a big fan of the golf course. In terms of the guys who didn't get anything out of last week heading to Augusta National, do you think that kind of thing is going to linger at all? I really don't. Um, for one, it's match play. It's different. You might play a little differently. Your mindset might be a little different. Um, but the great thing, even if you didn't advance, is you got three rounds under pretty good pressure. Um, match play, I think, is is more pressure than even normal events because every hole is its own tournament, basically. And I think even guys that didn't advance going into Augusta like a Jordan Spieth or a John Rahm, they got a lot of reps in under pressure. And I think they know exactly where their game's at, exactly what they need to work on this week moving into Augusta. Um, so I, I think that match play w w has been in a perfect spot a couple weeks before Augusta get enough reps in, and even if you don't get all the way to the weekend, um, you've got a lot of competition under your belt. Okay, now, now we got to turn an eye towards Augusta. You give me one favorite based on what you've seen through the season to this point. That player would be? Rory McIlroy. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I, I just think, I know he hasn't probably been as sharp as he'd hoped. I think he's been leaning into some stuff and, and trending in the right direction. Um, I think the, how he drove it last week with that new driver setup was phenomenal. He always drives it great, but um, I think this might be even something different. And that new putter, um, I think, made him more athletic, not as uh, technical, I think, in his putting. And I think Augusta really supports that kind of putter, imagination and and feel rather than technique, you know. So um, I, in my mind, I just feel like, what Roy did last year, putting the golf world on the PGA Tour on his on his back, um, I just think uh, something good something good is coming to him for for the, all the stuff, all the hard work he did off the golf course uh, for the PGA Tour last year. All right, we'll see if the karma pays off, Mr. McElroy, and he can actually close out that career Grand Slam. Of course, that's the narrative we're always following leading into Augusta. Thanks for the time, John Wood. Absolutely, thanks, guys. Putting our focus on the LPGA Tour on Sunday, Celine Boutier defeated major champion Georgia Hall in a playoff to capture the LPGA Drive-On Championship. That's her third career victory on the LPGA Tour with the win. The 29-year-old has become the winningest French player on the LPGA Tour. Amazing stuff. Look at the final leaderboard from Gold Canyon, Arizona, near surprise. You see just how jam-packed that first page of the leaderboard was. Jin Young Ko continuing her resurgence post-injury with a T5 finish thanks to a final round 68. Let's welcome in Golf Week senior writer Bethann Nichols, who joins us now with more. Bethann, what did Celine Boutier show you last week? <laughs> just how tough she is. Just a reminder, you know, when I, when I saw her make that putt to force the playoff, and I was just thinking back to her college days, that senior year, it was so difficult. I remember her crying every day at the NCAA championship. You know, here she is, you know, she was one of the, the best amateur players in the world and supposed to be starting her college career, our professional career soon. And she couldn't 
you know, struggling to break 80. She was having mild panic attacks on the golf course and, and, and just really struggling with anxiety. And, and a sports psychologist got her through to the other side of that. And, and when I see her win like, like she did yesterday and, and perform at the Solheim Cup the way she has so beautifully alongside her partner, Georgia Hall, they're, they're undefeated. Um, you know, it's just a reminder and an inspiration, I think, for a lot of people that, that you can come out on the other side of those, those dark places. And, and, and it looks like it was a long time ago in the rearview mirror for Celine. Speaking of the Solheim Cup, a fairly strong showing yesterday for Stacey Lewis, Bethana, tie for seventh. Too early to start talking about a playing captain? <laughs> she says so. <laughs> she says it'll it'll take a few more weeks like last week before we can have a serious conversation about it. But she has not ruled out the possibility, which is true, Stacey Lewis fashion. Uh, you know, she she put some new shafts in her irons after the Asian swing, felt like she was hitting especially her long irons a, a lot higher feeling really good about her ball striking, felt like her putting was coming together at the end of last year. And, uh, you know, every, every week she's out there, she's, she wants, she wants, she, I mean, she wants to play well, but, but really she'd like some other players to have an opportunity. And, and she said, you know, if, if she's not on that team, that means they're in, they're in really good shape. <laughs> so Stacey's really making an effort to, to get to know all the, the young faces who could be rookies this September. Bethany, we know Lilia Vu already a winner this season on the LPGA Tour this past weekend, finishing a tie for seventh. What are the ingredients that she's putting together that so far has been a great start to the season? Goodness, so, so consistent. She must be riding so much confidence right now. She hasn't finished outside of the top 10, top 15, excuse me, so far this season, which is really impressive uh, worldwide. Uh, started started out with the top three in Saudi Arabia and, of course, one in one in Thailand and is still rolling. And, and I just think that, you know, when you when you look at Lilia's great attitude that she has about taking everything in stride, you know, it's really serving her well. And, and right now she's number 11th in the world. It's fun to look back and see where was she a year ago. She was 149th in the world. So uh, quite a surge for Lilia, who this week could lock up one of those four places uh, to compete in the international crown. She's currently the the third highest ranked American in the Rolex rankings. And, and of course, four, four players will, will make up that team. Bethan, I want to show you my favorite video of the weekend. It was taken out at Mission Hills Country Club during the <laughs> Champions Tour event this past weekend. Have a look at this. So today we'll have a bit of an interesting situation. The most famous, probably the best player in our group, is our marker. <laughs> That, of course, Paddy so Sheehan's six-time major winner on the LPGA Tour and working as a walking scorer at the Gallery Classic <laughs> out there on the PGA Tour Champions. This is a woman who just loves golf, right? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I, you know, it must be noted that, you know, there, there's a little bit of a sore spot here, right? Because the women, this was the women's place, right? <laughs> the Mission Hills for so long, so many great moments in LPGA history. And I talked to her before this tournament. She lives on the 14th hole now. Uh, she has a place there. She likes to watch the amateurs. So if you're playing Mission Hills, just, just so you know, I'm a dinosaur course. She's probably watching. 
But, you know, Patty said, you know, I'm taking I'm taking the positive road here. You know, it's sad that that the women are no longer competing there uh, in, in her mind and the minds of many as, as the dinosaur was there for so long. But she said, you know, I've, I've gotten three choices to volunteer. They said I could be a walking scorer. They said I could work in the caddy tent or I could could work the range. And so obviously she decided to be a walking scorer. I think it's such a, a class act for Patty and. And, and hopefully we'll see the senior women there one day, you know, putting on a show. That, I think that would be so much fun. Speaking of Sheehan, and we loved what we saw last year, she made that commemorative final jump into Poppy's Pond last <laughs> spring. <laughs> so the Chevron uh, leaving Mission Hills and heading to the Woodlands. And here's, here's video of the finale from last year. They're going to tee it up at the Woodlands April 20th through 23rd. Any chance? We're going to see a jump at the new venue, or could there be a new type of celebration that becomes the status quo going forward? Well, it's certainly a possibility. They tell me that they're cleaning up the, the pond there on the 18th at, at the Nicholas Course at the Club at Carlton Woods, and it'll be a safe place if, if a player and or her family, you know, chooses to jump. They'll have a robe and slippers nearby. Uh, if this tradition is, is to continue, will just really depend on on who wins the the 18th uh, the hospitality area around the 18th will will be known as Dinah's place so uh, you know I'm 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 really curious to see what transpires you know I actually printed something out I wanted to read you that that Judy Rankin said to me last month about the history of the Dinah and, and what should carry on and I just thought it was so perfect that I wanted to read it to you she said I think it's part of growing old gracefully she said, of adapting to change. Be glad you had it. Celebrate on a rare occasion and let the new be new. I thought that was beautiful. <laughs> and would you echo those same sentiments then? Like, would you want to see the tradition carried over or should they have something new? You know, I honestly think I need to be there and assess the whole situation and see what it looks like and, and really get a feel for it. Personally, I was kind of hoping that then maybe they would they would move on because it's so hard to recreate that scene, you know, and, and it happened so organically and initially, you know, it's so beautiful there in, in, in the desert and that setting and, and that pond looks so inviting there, Poppy's Pond. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling right now to see, to imagine how that's going to play out in Texas. Um, so I'm not going to judge it quite yet, but, um, but I do agree with, with Judy's sentiment of let the new be new. I, I want Dinah to be honored. I don't want her to be forgotten. Uh, but, but I do think that this championship needs to develop its own identity. Eamon, set that timer a month from now. We'll check back <laughs> in with Beth Ann and, and get the postscript on the first Chevron championship at the Woodlands. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping to make some noise in the women's game this week will be here next, Jess Baker. She's a British amateur champion and is making her debut, the Augusta National Women's Amateur. We'll be right back after this short break. Bo Hustler came oh so close to his first PGA Tour win at last year's Valero Texas Open. The one-time star, UT, joins us. Golf Today rolls on. Today. Welcome back into Golf Today. I'm Eamon Lynch alongside George Savarikas. George, it's one of those weekends where we went into it thinking 
There's maybe three guys in the conversation for the next superstar of American golf with your Scotty Schefflers, your Patrick Cantley, Colin Morikawa. Seems at least there's a fourth guy who thinks he can elbow his way into that conversation. Yeah, you would throw Sam Burns in the mix, but I guess if you throw Cantley in there, he's about the same age as Spieth and Justin Thomas, but you're saying guys to follow the precursors that have been the two guys who were part of that stud 2011 class, I guess, with Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth had such depth there. But Sam Burns now with five PGA Tour victories, I, I think, and I said this in our number one, he's won a World Golf Championship event. We both agree this was his biggest win to date as far as the prestige and the, the caliber of the field that we saw in Austin Country Club. The next step is contending a major. It's pretty simple. And he now his next chance, Augusta National, right around the corner. Couldn't think of a better situation for him to win get some time to rest, recuperate, and carry that game right into the Masters, Eamon. You think he's got a dream of having his buddy Scotty Scheffler slide that green jacket on <laughs> to him in a couple of weeks from now, George? I mean, that would be pretty cool. And he just saw his friend last year. If we wonder, okay, does Austin Country Club, where you say so-and-so played great here, can they, does that momentum mean anything going into the Masters? Like two years ago, Hideki Matsuyama won he finished T42 at the WGC Dell Technologies match play. But last year, Scotty Scheffler won this past weekend at the WGC Dell Technologies match play. Very next event he played in, he won at Augusta National, slipping on the green jacket. Sam Burns would love to copy both legs of that double that we saw from Scotty Scheffler. There's a very fine line between form and confidence, particularly when you move through a strange format like match play. But there's a lot of guys out there for whom driving down Magnolia Lane seems to function as some kind of elixir where they find the fountain of youth. Yeah, certainly so. Time now for the winning moments presented by Wind Grips. And those winning moments, they came early, Eamon, and they came often for Sam Burns, already two up on the eighth against Cameron Young. And a lot of them came with this club. Inside the top 10 on putting on PGA Tour. So this now at the 10th. Burns already three up on the front nine and just piling on on the back nine. Goes four up there at 10. This train is gathering steam and it's getting away from Cameron Young. So the broadcast had to fill a little bit after this championship match because Sam Burns won six and five. Here he is after notching the W. I mean, this week is mentally exhausting as it is physically. And I think, um, you know, after 10 holes this morning, um, you know, my caddy, Travis, kind of gave me a good kick in the butt and said, come on, man, like, let's go. You got this. Um, and what I really needed at the time. And, um, man, he, he was rock solid all week. Uh, I couldn't have done it without him. And I'm just so thankful that he was out there with me battling every step of the way and, uh, you know, thankful that we were the last one standing. How much momentum does this give you? Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, I've, I've been kind of fighting my golf swing a little bit um, at the start of this four-week stretch that I've been on and uh, put a lot of hard work in with my coach, Brad Pullen, and um, I'm just so thankful for, for him and uh, the amount of work that he's, you know, put in with me and been there by my side for all of it and um, just so many people that have helped me along the way. Here are the official World Golf rankings through last week with both events, WGC, Dell Technologies, Match Play, and the Corrales Punta Cana Championship. Scotty Scheffler still with that healthy lead. It's now over Rory McIlroy, number two. John Rahm sliding to number three. And Sam Burns rounds out the top ten. You just keep 
you know, stacking these guys, one, two, three, one, two, three, different orders with Scotty Scheffler, Roy McElroy, and John Rahm. And Justin Thomas missing from that for the first time in five and a half years. That's definitely something of note for JT, who wants to get his game on track. We're just one week away from the first men's major championship of 2023. Live from the Masters begins next Monday at 2 o'clock Eastern time right here on Golf Channel. Odds to win the men's first majors. Scotty Scheffler, plus 700. He is 7 to 1, followed by Rory McElroy and John Rahm. The odds makers following the world golf rankings at the moment with their one, two, three. What do you think of those, Amy? Well, everyone else is looking at those three guys as well. It's going to be an interesting one, the fourth guy on that list, Cameron Smith, who's spending his week warming up at Orange County National in Orlando, Florida, which wouldn't seem to be the most obvious warm-up location <laughs> for the Masters. Uh, your most intriguing storyline, aside from where Cameron Smith is getting his game game ready for Augusta National, what are the most intriguing storylines for you? Well, to me, there are two intriguing storylines, and the play itself at Augusta National always becomes the storyline. Leading into it, there are two particular angles, one of which involves, obviously, Cameron Smith. This will be the first time that we've seen the Live guys and PGA Tour guys collide in, since last summer uh, at the Open Championship. 18 of them will be in the field at Augusta. And the dynamic will be interesting because there have been some outspoken former champions, particularly talking about the Champions Dinner Tuesday night. Ben Crenshaw was on the show last week. He said it could be tense, whereas Fred Couples, a lot more vocal. He's referred recently to Phil Mickelson as a nutbag. He referred to Sergio Garcia as a clown. Doesn't necessarily lend itself to a genial dinner table conversation, I would think. So that's one of the, the angles there. And that be becomes a, a continuing angle if one of the live guys plays well enough to put themselves in the mix later during the week. But you, you, do you think in the dinner that guys won't just bear it for two, three hours? You oh, think I don't think there will be an issue at the dinner. I think it'll be tense, but I don't think there'll be an issue because they all understand that they're there for Scotty Scheffler. Yes. And that they're not necessarily there for, for any of their own agenda so I imagine there'll be a lot of grinning and bearing it at that one but in terms of the noise around it and comments that may be made by players on either side of that divide I'm not so sure that civility will hold up all week long um, but the closest thing we have in golf to a, a state of the nation is when Augusta National's chairman speaks on Wednesday because with all due respect to Martin Slumbers and Mike Wan that's where the real power exists in the game of golf and one of the questions that Fred Ridley is going to be asked is obviously about the distance debate and this proposal for a modified local rule to roll the golf ball back a little bit. And if you go back and look at Fred Ridley's comments from his press conference last year, it would suggest a man who's very much in favour of action being taken. He suggested last year that he's, patience, but, or he's patient, but his patience is not unlimited. And they don't I, want to have to keep spending uh, millions and millions of dollars to extend the 13th and buy up around the perimeter of Augusta National? You no, think they're getting close to a point where that's getting a little old? Well, they have bought a lot of property, but they typically use it for the logistics of the tournament, like car parking. They're not interested in extending golf holes much more than they've already done with the 13th. And if you're Mike Wan and Martin Slumbers, this is the cavalry riding in now, because if Fred Ridley suggests that the Masters will use the option of a, a limited ball in 2026 if it's available. That's three of the four majors that would do so. The PGA Championship is not going to be the outlier in that. They will not allow themselves to be seen 
as less than the others. And to the point Rory McIlroy made last week when he was asked about it, that raises the issue for the PGA Tour. Do you want to separate yourself from the pinnacle of the game and become seen as a more of an entertainment product? And that, that's going to be an interesting one to play out over the next couple of years. But we're going to have a real signpost on that debate next Wednesday in Augusta. I wholeheartedly agree. And I do think it, right now you're still in the, I guess, fact-finding and negotiation with what the USGA and RNA put out. And this is their listening period through mid-August. I think the PGA Tour and the governing bodies are a lot closer than it initially appears in these extreme examples of guys using one ball for majors and one ball for the PGA Tour. In actuality, that's never going to come to fruition. For me, the most intriguing storyline, and I'm going to add one. I know I had initially said prior to the show, Rory McIlroy and his quest for the career Grand Slam, and then I was just thinking back, what were the most intriguing storylines last year? It was Tiger Woods at the start of the week, making the cut. We only, as golf fans, maybe get, if we're lucky, five, six times a year we're going to get to see Tiger Woods going forward. Augusta would be his second event this year. There were some positives from the Genesis, but overall the, the, the big storyline is can his body withstand the rigors of four days? And then for Rory McIlroy, he was the story, aside from Scotty Scheffler, on Sunday. Will that final round 64, which was the new lowest round, Final round in, in Masters history, lowest score we've seen on Sunday at Augusta National. Will that be what provides Rory kind of the type of peace he needs inside the ropes to get it done at Augusta National? Or are we going to be having the same conversations we've had the last eight years since Rory's been trying to cap off the career Grand Slam? Will those continue through 2023 into 2024? I think regardless, if Rory finishes first, if Rory misses the cut, if Rory's in contention and comes up short, that's going to be one of the dominant headlines the Monday after the Masters. Sure, and we're going there now after what we saw in Austin where what was a question mark going into Austin is now an exclamation mark. What was a weakness is now a weapon in terms of both the driver and the putter. He seems more confident in both of those clubs. Every year we see Rory go to Augusta, and you made the point last week, he seems to have a different mental game approach to it. It was interesting just hearing him. The only reference he made to that was just figuring out what shots the course needs and, and approach it that way, purely Which as is a what you statistical want exercise and an exercise of how he's going to approach the game, not how he's going to rationalise being there. Tiger not on your radar at all? Heading into Augusta? Tiger's always on the radar, but he's not the number one story going into this year, I don't think, for a change. It's, it's, it's definitely a change. I mean, he's occupied the top spot since, what, oh, 1997, more or less, when it comes to master storylines? Well, he may actually speak out on all of the other storylines that we think are there as well. So whatever Tiger says, we're going to listen. More to come here on Golf Today. Before Masters Week, another special event at Augusta National Golf Club. Best female amateurs in the world. We'll meet this week in Georgia. Jess Baker is in the field. We'll try to add to her already impressive resume. She joins us next. Just another reminder, the coverage coming your way, the Augusta National Women's Amateur begins on Wednesday. Another competitor we're going to see this week at Champions Retreat and Augusta National is Jess Baker. Here she is earlier this year with her invitation to the Augusta National Women's Amateur. For a little bit of background on Jess, she is a junior at UCF and she won the 2022 Women's British Amateur Championship the same year that she played in two major championships, the Evian Championship and the AIG 
Women's Open, also played obviously in the NCAA Regionals. And we're pleased to be joined now by Jess Baker. And Jess, for a lot of people going to Augusta National, playing the Augusta National Women's Amateur, given the intensity of the scrutiny, that's the biggest week that they could possibly face career-wise. But you've already won the biggest event possible in terms of British Amateur Golf with the Amateur Championship last year. Where does this rank in terms of stress points for you on this stage? Yeah, obviously, um, August is one of the biggest stages in golf. And I just think to, to have the opportunity as, as young amateurs to play here and, um, you know, get going off the back of the experience that I've had for the past year, um, obviously winning um, a big event, you know, takes confidence to do that. And um, as I say, you know, the experiences with the, the two major champions championships I've played in so far, um, you know, it all kind of builds up. And, uh, and, yeah, it's great to sort of have that leading into this week. Jess, most weeks that you're prepping for a tournament, you play a practice round, and it's the same tournament course for the entirety of the event. The Augusta National Women's Amateur, a little unique, where you have two different courses that you'll be playing on during the course of tournament play. So what's the preparation process like for that? Yeah, I think it's really exciting to get to play two different courses. And I think it kind of separates um, the field a little bit because, you know, the, there's different things required for different courses. So um, it's going to be really fun. I think at Champions, you know, it's a little bit longer. Um, we're supposed to have some not so nice weather. So um, I think that kind of suits my game. I hit it pretty far and um, we're obviously used to the rainy weather back in the UK. So, um, so yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting and obviously just to hopefully get a chance on Saturday to win it. Now, your friends are very invested in this as well, Jess. They've actually concocted a menu for you for a, a champion's dinner at Augusta National. Here are your friends that we see here. <laughs> and some of the menu items, that they sound actually pretty good even for a champion's dinner. You know, some cheese pizza, some nice brownies. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, we actually had it on, um, on Friday. We did it. Uh, the day before I left, so um, so that no, that was so fun, and um, coach kind of came up with a, a fun way to sort of do a send off for me. So it was really nice to have my teammates there, and um, and yeah, obviously foods that we all love. So so yeah, that was really good fun. By the end of the week, you're going to see some familiar faces at Augusta National. You played the Champions event last year during the 150th Open in St Andrews. You played with Colin Morikawa. You were around all of these legends in the game. A lot of those same people are going mm -hmm. to be in Augusta next weekend. Have you actually reached out to any of them for any tips on how to play the golf course or are you just looking forward to seeing some old faces? Yeah, I haven't uh, reached out as such. I'm not sure that's my place quite yet. But, <laughs> but no, it'll be really fun um, if I do see anyone and um, you know, could hopefully have a catch-up from the summer. So, so yeah, I think it's just going to be really exciting to be around it all, especially leading into Masters Week too. We hear a lot of guys who talk about their build-up to the Masters and they try not to overtire themselves because they get feel like they have to cram so much in to make sure that their game is peaking for what is for a lot of players. They're the most important tournament to them. How do you balance this being a, a big week for you and also knowing that, okay, if I, if I go through a lot of the, the normal routine, that could yield the best caliber of golf that I can play? Yeah, as you say, it is a balance. And being in college, you know, you've got workouts in the morning and you've got class to, to get to. So it is a busy lifestyle. 
Um, but I think that's kind of where quality over quantity just comes in. And I feel like this past week I've, I've really gotten a good quality session in most days. And, um, you know, that's really important for confidence leading into this week. If I know that I've prepared as well as possible, then I've kind of done my bit and we'll just have to see what happens. So, so yeah, it's all about kind of taking that forward and, um, using it when, when it kind of comes to it. All right, write the script for us if you're contention on that second nine at Augusta National on Saturday. What's happened to get you to that point? Uh, just really solid golf, I will say, um, and staying patient. You know, I, I came out to Champions uh, last November, so I've seen it before. And um, as I said earlier, you know, it's a long course and the greens are firm and fast and um, you're going to need a lot of patience out there. So, so yeah, just solid, consistent golf and um anything to kind of put yourself in a position to be there on the Saturday and, um, and yeah, just kind of go for it, be aggressive. You're checking off quite the bucket list of courses these days, Jess, between the old course last year for the Open, Augusta National. You also have Pebble Beach on your horizon for the U.S. Women's Open this summer. Are you looking forward to that one? I am very much so, yeah. Um, I've never been out west, so that will be really exciting to sort of obviously experience the links <laughs> at Pebble and... Um, and yeah, just kind of experience that US Open. Um, I've done the British Open already, so um, it'll be fun to see how it's done on the other side of the world. <laughs> Alrighty, Jess, best of luck at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. I know we're both going to be watching. Thank you very much. From a debutante to a retiree, we cover the life cycle of the game here on Golf Today. John Coop coming up next. It's his first morning as a retired golfer. We're going to see what that feels like. Welcome back to Golf Today. A big weekend for LSU guys all around. David Toms shot a seven under par 65 yesterday to close out a wire-to-wire -wire win at the Gallery Classic to become the first two-time winner on the PGA Tour Champions this season. It was his fourth Champions Tour victory in all. And this week marked the end of a heck of a run for our friend and Golf Channel's John Cook as we're looking at the final leaderboard here. Cookie was in the field, teeing it up for the final time in his career on the PGA Tour Champions. You see Stephen Alker was solo second, Retief Goosen, Paul Stankowski, Schneka with a nice week. They were T3, the career bio for John Cook. Won the U.S. Amateur back in 1978, 11 PGA Tour victories, part of Ohio State's 79 national title team and was a member of the 1993 U.S. Ryder Cup team. Why was that team important, Eamon? They were the last American team to win on foreign soil all right and now let's welcome in our pal john cook cookie what was what was the final walk like on sunday uh you know it was uh it, it was really fun it was it was a great uh great week here in um <coughs> in the palm desert area palm springs area a lot of family and friends uh came out uh, my whole family my my two daughters you know, one of their husbands and Little granddaughter, Jason, was on the bag, so we had a big family affair, big family get-together. But the walk was pretty surreal. You know, I spent a lot of time of my life at Mission Hills, so um, just walking around the, the, the last three days, getting paired with, you know, David Duvall and Fred Funk, Olin Brown, um, Scott McCarron, and then yesterday, Tim O'Neill and K.J. Choi was, you know, it's just a great walk. Um, I was just 
walking around, getting numbers from my son, Jason, and uh, hitting golf shots. And some were good and some weren't so good. And that's just the way it was. It was uh, yesterday was just a real fun, very surreal walk. Why, why now, John, and why here at Mission Hills in terms of making that decision to walk away? Yeah, great question, Eamon. So when I saw that uh, you know, this event was going to be on the PGA Tour Champions calendar, I wanted to be involved in somehow, some way, shape, or form um, to be able to, to be part of this. And whether it was either going to be on the TV crew or as a host, but, you know, and, and George, we played enough golf together. My game is okay. It's not great, but it's okay. Um, I thought what better place to, to call it a, a career than at Mission Hills, uh, where I spent so much time, um, you know, with Ken Venturi and really learning the game of golf and how to play at a high level. So I, I just thought it was the right time. Your game's still dangerous. I've seen enough of it. <laughs> I know what you're <laughs> capable of. You look at your career arc, you're the rear guy. Who, I mean, your first PGA Tour win it was back in 1981. Your last win on the PGA Tour Champions, 2014. In those 33 years, you combined <laughs> 21 wins between the PGA Tour and PGA Tour Champions. When you have some time to reflect, what are you most proud of? of what you were able to accomplish during your time as an amateur and then your long and distinguished career as a professional? You know, I think as, as an amateur and in college, uh, I, I just got better and better. <laughs> and, you know, being part of that, uh, you know, NCAA championship team was really why we, you know, you go to college. So I was just so, you know, so proud and, and honored to, to represent uh, Ohio State University as a student athlete. But then, you know, reflecting back on my career, I'm, you know, extremely proud, extremely pleased, uh, very happy with what I, I had accomplished. I worked very, very hard. I had great support from uh, my family, my wife, Jan, and, and, and our kids, uh, Chris and Courtney and Jason. They, they knew that dad was out playing golf, but he was always going to come home and we'd always do a lot of good things together. So, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm really proud of, of what I accomplished. A little bit disappointed I didn't capture a major uh, championship or two. Um, that's a really the only disappointment. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of what I've done on both tours. And, uh, you know, I won a lot. I lost a lot. I lost a ton. Um, but I did win a lot and, um, you know, won some big events. And uh, I couldn't have done it without uh, the great support of my family. John, you made your debut on the PGA Tour in Ohio at the World Series of Golf back in October of 1978, 45 years ago, and you were 21 at the time. What do you wish 21-year-old John Cook had known that 65-year-old John Cook knows now? <laughs> oh, boy. It, uh, you know, you learn so much along the way. You, you, you have so many great experiences, um, you know, meeting some wonderful people, along the way that did just uh, enjoy the game of golf. I probably would say to myself, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the walk a little bit more. I was so competitive, uh, Eamon, that a lot of times I didn't enjoy the walk. I, I, I love the competition. I love walking up and down the range and, you know, seeing, uh, you know, these great players play and knowing a chance, of, you know, I, I had a good chance to, to beat them and to win golf tournaments, but maybe I didn't appreciate it, uh, you know, the, 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 what I had and what was going for me, I totally appreciated the fact that I got to do uh, what I love to do for a living. So that, that part I, I understand, but maybe I could have enjoyed myself and not been so hard on myself, uh, you know, during those years and people that have watched me play knew that I could run a little bit hot, 
Um, and uh, it was only getting mad at myself. I, I wish I probably could have enjoyed that walk a little bit, little bit more. Well, obviously, you accomplished a lot. You won a lot of tournaments out there. Is there one tournament that got away from you over the last 40-odd <laughs> years that still pops into your head once in a while when you're trying to sleep at night? Yeah, I mean, I think you know the answer to this one. <laughs> 1992 Open Championship at Muirfield, I thought was mine. Um, you know, coming down the stretch, I had I had, uh, I had um, Sir Nick Faldo you know, pretty much beat, and then I pretty much uh, beat up on myself, three putting 17 for par, and then making a bogey at 18. But you know, he closed like a great champion, Hall of Famer that he is, and uh, I got clipped by a shot. But I I, fir I had both hands firmly on that claret jug. And uh, let that let let it slip away, and you know there was a Hall of Famer to uh, to to pick it up. So that would be the one uh, most disappointing. I, I I think that still keeps me awake at night. And come July, when the Open Championship is at uh, at uh, Royal Liverpool, I'm, you know I'll, I'll have the I'll have those thoughts again. I'm sure. John, what was the secret to your longevity? It's not too often we see a guy of double-digit wins in the PGA Tour and then double-digit wins on the PGA Tour champions. And I mentioned that 33-year arc from 81 <laughs> to 2014 bookended with wins, of course, at Pebble Beach. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that I just I love the game so much. I had a great support system with uh, Ken Venturi for so many years and later on with uh, Jamie Mulligan um, that, you know, I, I just I had the will to compete. I, I had had instilled in me on uh, by my father, uh, Jim, when, at a young, young age, um, about the will to compete in whatever sport I was playing. It was you, you try to be the best you can. I think um, I loved the competitiveness. I loved uh, the work ethic. I loved to work at it. But I loved the game so much, and I loved to be able to compete so much um, that I would do anything I could to, to keep that longevity. I think when uh, my son Jason got you know heavy into golf, he kind of you know, gave me, you know, spurred me on a little bit more as well to, you know, to uh, see him improve in his game and where he took it, his game to. Um, Might have kept me going a little bit longer in my in my 40s. There was also some some kid uh, lived down the street named Tiger Woods that kind of kind of inspired uh, Mark O'Mara and I to keep keep plugging along and, and try to keep competitive. So um, I had a lot of help along the way, but you know what? I, I just I loved to compete, and I think uh, as long as my name was on my bag. That's what I was supposed to do. How do you want to be remembered, John? I mean, in terms of the guys that you played against and competed against for all those years, what would you like them to say about you when your career is done? Uh, you know, it, uh, a lot of players came up to me the last couple of days and said some uh, really, really nice words. And, you know, maybe just respect. I, I, I respected my, my, my competitors uh, so much, you know, at this, uh, level, this very high level of golf. Um, I, I respected all of my peers, uh, wh wh whatever their records were, wherever they came from. It didn't matter to me. But they were playing the greatest game, you know, ever, ever, ever put together. And, uh, you know, I, I just respected the game. I respected my peers. And that's how I'd like to be remembered. John, as we're about to let you go, would be curious, your master shortlist. Who's a, a name or two that you <laughs> think is trending in the right direction or peaking and has a good chance of slipping on that green jacket? I think we saw four of them yesterday <laughs> playing. <laughs> good call. Those would be a pretty good four to start with. Sam Burns is just, he's about ready to take that leap. You, you think know, so? He, he really is. Uh, he, he, he's impressive in every, um, 
facet of the game. He drives it long. He can move the ball one way or another. He's a wonderful pitcher and putter of the golf ball. Um, and he's, you know, at the right time, he's doing the right things. And he, he's about ready to scratch that next level that, uh, you know, Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy are already on. Cam Young also, you know, very, very accomplished and, and look for him. Um, just, you know, who, who's playing the best at the right time right now? It looks like those four are, are pretty good. I take, uh, you know, Scotty and Rory and, and, and probably uh, Sam Burns. Yeah, pretty uh, fearsome, foursome to say the least. <laughs> John, I know yeah. you were excited once you saw the PGA Tour champion schedule for how it would play out to play Newport and then at Mission Hills. It was fun yeah. for us as your colleagues and fans um, to watch the, the, the final stroll at Mission Hills this past <laughs> weekend. Yeah, it was a great, uh, great couple of weeks. Um, I had a blast doing it, and I played so many years with all these great professionals. And maybe the next few years, I get to work with the you professionals. <laughs> yeah, now you're stuck <laughs> with my, us. Uh... <laughs> Not as exciting. <laughs> I can't wait! Can't wait! Can't wait to do it. Uh, can't wait to to get uh, get back into it. Yeah, looking forward to a cookie. More to come on golf today. The PGA Tour stays in Texas for another week. Former Longhorn. It's going to hop on the show. What's the state of Bo Hostler's game as he chases his first win on the PGA Tour? This man knows Austin with the best of them. More to come. Back at it on golf today. Bo Hostler in the field this week at the Valero Texas Open. Hostler, former stud at Texas and what a junior year he had put together. Remember, he was medalist five times. That was the third most in program history. 2016, he was named Big 12 Player of the Year and won the Fred Haskins Award as the top player in men's collegiate golf. Bioblast for Bo Hostler. He's had a couple runner-up finishes. Cadence Bank, Houston Open, lost in the playoff. Travelers Championship was runner-up as well. He's had 156 career PGA Tour starts, currently clocking in. At 140th in the world, it's made eight out of 14 cuts this season. And a look at Bo Hostler's recently in Austin with the team at PGA Tour Entertainment. He'll be featured on the upcoming episode of The Cut, which will air right here on Golf Channel. Bo spending some time practicing out the University of Texas facility and shared some of his practice routine to get ready to play. Let's welcome in Bo Hostler's on site at this week's Valero Texas Open. Bo, we we're getting just past the halfway point of the season. If you look at it from start to finish so far for you, how would you grade your performance? Hey, fellas, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's certainly a, a standard of golf, isn't it? Just a little bit up and down, but um, all in all, I feel like you know the the game is actually coming around, even though I haven't been great form lately. Bo, you were tied for the lead heading into the final round here last year and you still had a chance to win on the back nine. You ended up tied for fourth. Did a week like that, does it give you more confidence or does it leave you with more frustration that you didn't close it? I think you're always balancing the two, aren't you? Um, certainly as a competitor, you want to win. Um, I had a great opportunity. Um, with that being said, I think JJ shot like five or six under on Sunday, even with a double on the first hole. So... He uh, certainly deserved to win. He closed really well. Um, but all in all, you know, you take so much positive from a good week like that. And that's really all you can ask for is, you know, to be in contention and have an opportunity come Sunday uh, afternoon on the back nine, right? 
Bo, you took uh, last week off. We have a hectic st stretch for a lot of guys in the PGA Tour coming up. How do you use an off week to, to sharpen your game? W what's the workload that goes into it? Uh, last week for me was actually pretty strenuous. I think it depends, George, on where you are in your, you know, in your current state. Um, right now, I've been, you know, struggling with my ball striking a little bit, so I was trying to get after it with my coach down in uh, Orange County and um, try and get on the right path here for this kind of stretch in the middle of the season here. So it was pretty strenuous. I saw my trainer, I think, five days, um, got some good recovery work in. And then um, hit a lot of golf balls. It was raining a bit, so I had to hit indoors on uh, kind of some simulators and then finally got some sunshine at the end of the week. Well, last year you finished 80th on the FedEx Cup list, which was easy enough to keep your card at that when there were 125 cards going. This year that wouldn't keep your card when it's been reduced to 70. Are you a fan of what you see in terms of the new structure of the PGA Tour with the reduction in guaranteed cards down to 70 with the new designated events? Um, you mean just full status as far as being in all of the events, correct? Correct. Yeah, you know, um, I'm a little torn. I understand a lot of what they're trying to do, and I think it's all in probably the best interest of the tour. Um, with that being said, I don't know that I agree with everything. I think, you know, you're certainly never going to put policy in place that makes everybody happy. Um, I think that... Having been out here for a period of time, I have an appreciation for the depth of the tour, the depth of professional golf as a whole, and how important that depth is to kind of what makes the tour go round, right? So, um, like I said, the de designated events are outstanding. I've been lucky to be a part of three of them this year. Frankly, they've been three of the best tournaments I've ever played on the PGA Tour, if you were to just exclude the players, because that's kind of in a league of its own as far as just a PGA Tour run event, you know, taking out the majors. Um, and I hope that, you know, my hope was that more players would be able to experience that and be a part of it because they seem like they've been an overwhelming success. With that being said, I understand that they're taking care of George, correct, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe there's, you know, 44 or 46 events on the PGA Tour. Is that right? Uh, 47 events this season on the PGA Tour, including events. the playoffs. They're there to do what's best for the, you know, sponsors and the media and everything involved with all 47 of those events. So with me not being involved in those conversations from a business perspective, it's hard for me to give 100% guidance. I can only give my perspective as a player. Um and the way that they were run this year with the standard eligibility um, certainly has affected some tournaments' uh, field strength, in my opinion. I think part of that is the the dates, the cadence of the events, as the tour would call them. Um, and I think there is probably some element that's uh, eligibility-related as well. So, you know, even to answer your question, um, I think the intent is good. I think everybody at the tour has an intention of making our product the best tour in the world, right? And to have the best players, and they're doing what's necessary to secure that. How have conversations with the PGA Tour among the PGA Tour membership and the actual PGA Tour commission, the execs, evolved from your first season on the PGA Tour to where you are now, this the middle of your sixth season now out on the PGA Tour? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I was asked this question the other day about what was something about the tour that 
you, you didn't expect that you might have known. And it was kind of the policy and politics, if you want to call it, of that. Um, I didn't really realize how important that was. And certainly the emergence of Live Golf has amplified that, right, I mean, significantly. So um, there's been a lot of um, changes and schools of thought that have arisen from everybody involved in the game of golf the last probably three years. Um, and so it felt like when I got out on tour, basically the tour was being run very close to how it has for a long time. Right. Um, and certainly that's been shaken up the last couple of years. And, uh, um, I think, you know, a lot of the time the discussion on, on site at tournaments has turned sometimes towards policy or politics of the PGA tour. Um, certainly more than it used to, uh, when kind of everything was, we didn't really have like a legitimate competitor in the marketplace. Right. Yeah. makes perfect sense. Uh, final thought as we're letting you go, we hear players say, uh, comfort level with the course will trump recent form in, in actuality. How, how does that play out? Are there certain shots you visualize? If you just get off to a good start, do you then have feels from, from last year? Uh, how does that work? Yeah, I think there is an element of that for sure. Um, you'll see some players struggle and then come to a course that they're familiar with and play particularly well. So can't tell you how many times I've seen a, oh, this guy hasn't made a cut in two months and then he wins a tournament, right? So hopefully that's me this week. Um, I'm comfortable at the golf course. Clearly I had an opportunity last year to win, but I've also played fairly well here in the past. So um, I really like the golf course. Um, clearly it suits me at some level and hopefully I can go out and contend and compete again. I have some good memories. Yeah, well, looking forward to the week ahead at the Valero Texas Open. Bo Hostler, thanks for jumping on the program here on Golf Today. Well, thank you, guys.